everybody. It's Jack Mitchell, and this is SBO Perspectives, here with a great week, along with my colleague and co-host, John Bricado. And so with that, I'm going to let John break this down for you, because you are going to be, I'll give a hint, shell-shocked about this <laughs> podcast episode. Absolutely, Jack. Well put. Shell-shocked because we have Senator Shelley Mayer on the podcast today, who I can't tell you how excited we are to have had the opportunity to speak with her. I mean, I think everyone listening to this podcast knows the name Shelley Mayer and what a incredible advocate she's been for students in education and, and chairing the uh, education subcommittee in the Senate. So we, we have a really great episode for you today, and uh, we're excited that Shelley took the time to speak with us. And Yep. Get ready to be flabbergasted. All right. And here's our interview with Shelley Mayer. Today on the podcast, we have Senator Shelley Mayer. Shelley Mayer has spent her career as an advocate for New Yorkers and is an experienced and progressive leader. Shelley was elected to the New York State Senate to represent the 37th District in an April 2018 special election, and she was subsequently reelected in November 2018 and 2020. Prior to her time in the State Senate, she served in the State Assembly for six years. Shelley has been a champion for children in public schools throughout her time in the state legislature. From 2013 to 2017, Shelley served as the chair of the Assembly Education Subcommittee on Students with Special Needs. During this time, she advocated for and ensured that schools serving the state's most vulnerable students received increased funding from the state. While representing the city of Yonkers in the Assembly, Shelley prioritized delivering for the city's 26,000 plus public school students. In 2019, after being reelected to the state Senate, Shelley was appointed to serve as the chair of the state Senate Education Committee. Senator Mayor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Yes, Senator Mayor. Thank, Thank you. you, John and Jack, for having me. It's really, I, I'm very honored to be on, and I look forward to listening to the podcast. Oh, please. We're the honored ones to have you carve time. Absolutely. Out and to take this time is very big, big for us. So we really appreciate that. So that bio, I tell you, it's just, it almost gives me chills in a way, because to have somebody on our podcast to, you know, of your stature and and just to discuss things that are pertinent to that school business is, is such a great thing. So I, I tell you, I'm almost... Shell shock is that is that the word shell shock? But anyway, I'll, I'll kick it off. You've been such an incredible advocate for public schools your entire career. What just out of curiosity, what led you to wanting to chair the education committee, and what do you find most challenging in that role? Thank you for the question because um, you know I'm no expert in education. I'm a parent. I'm a grandparent of five kids a parent of three kids. I, I firmly believe that public education is the path to the middle class and the path for opportunity for so many kids. I always believed it deeply, but when I became the assembly person for Yonkers, where the challenges of having a big city public school system that was not adequately funded were so intense and personal, I just responded like I think many people would on a human level. Like, why aren't these kids having art and music in the elementary grades? Why isn't there a football team? I mean, I'm not even a football person, but don't I know that so many mothers and fathers from Yonkers want their kids to have the opportunity to play a sport maybe that would help them get into college or maybe just round them out or make them a better yeah. team? Why wouldn't I want my kid to have AP classes if they were talented and have enough guidance counselors to help them? And here I was Yonkers on the border of Eastchester, Hastings, even the city of New York, they had more. Now, it was simply by virtue of this kid being born and going to public school in Yonkers. 
It struck me as so unfair. So I spent, as I say, all my political capital on fighting for schools. And I sort of gave up the other things that I cared about in Yonkers and I gave them up, but they became lower priorities. And my, my fight was for these kids. I really believe this having quality education for so many kids who grow up poor, as well as working class, this is, this is the way to succeed for these exceptional students to get to college or for these kids who are going to be in the trades. We just got to give them the hand up and the lift up and the support they needed. So I just got invested in it. And somehow I learned enough between the urban part of Yonkers, the suburban part of Yonkers, the world of education that I was lucky the majority leader named me as chair of the Senate Education Committee. Very nice. Thank you for that. Uh, that's such a great story. And, you know, from starting on the committee to where you are today, have, what have you seen change just, I guess, from your own personal convictions with public schools to, to where you are, are now? I mean, have you, have you seen the challenges kind of ease up? Are they, is it getting more challenging? What, what are you seeing change in the landscape? Two big things. One is this enormous victory we had last year and all the school business people know. I mean, we have been fighting Governor Cuomo on fully funding foundation aid. I was there as a staffer in 2007 when Spitzer was governor, when we enacted the foundation aid formula. The whole point was no politics. It doesn't matter whether you're senators or Republican or Democrat, you should be funded based on need. Right. With us until we got to this year to be able to really push back on Governor Cuomo's complete unwillingness to accept that there was a state's obligation to do this. So that was an extraordinary victory that coupled with what schools went through during COVID, what a challenge for an Absolutely. institution like a school. I mean, you know, schools, I mean, they had to be much more nimble, forward-looking, acknowledge their role as childcare providers, even though they don't like to talk about it. That was a fact of life. And make changes every week. I mean, the governor put out every Friday a new order, change this, change that, change this, change that. So that was very trying. So that was yeah. the trial, but the victory was to win this foundation aid battle. And frankly, to have a governor, the new governor, Governor Hochul, I think whatever our differences, they will not be based on resentment against right. public schools. I say this about Governor Cuomo, he didn't come visit public schools. I, I can't wait till Kathy Hochul comes in Briarcliff or Port Chester, which I represent, or New Rochelle or... Mm -hmm. I any of these schools come for a day and see what schools are like. And I think she'll be a much better partner. And, and that's a great point. And that's something I think a lot of us take for granted. And even if you're in a in district administration, sometimes people just don't get out into the buildings and really don't reflect on why we're doing what we're doing. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up Governor Hochul and the foundation aid that was brought to brought to light last year. You know, on the 14th of this year, she announced the settlement of the New Yorkers for students' educational rights versus the state of New York. You touched on it a little bit. Can you give us a little bit of background on the case? Uh, and now that it's settled, what what's so significant about it? Well, the initial case, which ended in about 2006 by the Court of Appeals, which held that kids are entitled to sound basic education, those were the words, also came with a direction to the legislature. And in 2007, they adopted this formula. As I used to say, it used to be, you know, if you were represented by someone in the majority party, your school did well, minority party, your school did poorly, or if you were primarily a minority school, you, you really had a challenge in getting funded a school like Yonkers, so, or Portchester, or a number of others. 
so in 2007, the legislature adopted this formula. Then came the recession. We never fully funded it. Then came Governor Cuomo being resistant to it. So then there was a second lawsuit, the one that was settled this week, involving several other districts trying to say, hey, we also, our kids are entitled to a sound basic education. That second lawsuit was settled by this agreement you referenced where the governor agreed they weren't going to appeal anymore, conditioned on two things. What we agreed to in last year's budget, we would reach 100% of foundation aid over the next two budget cycles. So we got to 60 this year of what our schools are owed, 80 in the coming year, and 100. So the fact she signed on means we have a partner in ensuring we get to 100% of foundation aid. Look, foundation aid for school business people, no, it is not perfect. It is not a measure of everything that is right, but it is a very good start. We can tinker with it, which I happen to think we should, but now we're not going to fight the premise that every kid is entitled to sound basic education and that we should fund it consistent with the foundation aid formula. And that should be based on need, real indices of need, like poverty, yeah. English language learners, mm -hmm. uh, special needs kids, and, and that kind of thing. And you, you bring up a great point. I mean, especially as school business officials, every year it seemed to have been a challenge and we didn't know what was going to happen up at the state because as you said, in 07, the, the formula was really meant to be apolitical and it was predictable, but obviously that changed. So it's so nice and reassuring to see that we're hopefully, you know, onto a brighter future as it comes to predictability with state funding. And don't forget, and I just heard this the other day, you know, the governor during COVID threatened to cut schools 25%. I'm sure you. Yes, we recall I'm that. I'm well aware of that. It was like a doomsday then. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was for me, too. And Andrea Stewart Cousins, the majority leader, and I called the governor's office and said, if you do this, there is going to be warfare because mm -hmm. don't hold it out there as a threat. You cannot do this. Schools are already struggling. And we were able to get them not to do that. But, you know, some schools laid off people based on that threat hundreds yeah. of people yeah. in upstate districts lost their jobs mm -hmm. now they got rehired but what a crazy way to run a school district during covid i mean you don't threaten we are all we're trying to be on the same page supporting the effort to deal with covid so i'm very happy not only were schools not cut we got the additional money nice. and we work with senator schumer to get that federal money to go directly to schools and not to have the state have its hand out and try to grab it, which was the goal of some people. Yeah, I remember that was that was crazy when that came out. I remember reading a few articles from upstate that districts were laying off staff based on that news, which you would think is the fiscally responsible thing to do. But then shortly thereafter, the Department of Budget came out and said, well, hold on, that's not really what's going to happen. So it was that was that was tough, I'm sure. And th we thank you Charlie, for doing that because yeah. it, it's very well spoken here and how these relations have changed right throughout the state and, and the house, the powers above. But I can tell you that that is really refreshing to hear what you stated. And, and I mean, for many districts, uh, John and I were on the board of Asbel, this is good news. So, so we thank you for that. So now I guess from just looking in, maybe your perspective, I guess, giving us some insight, right? From, I guess, the belly of the beast here. What is your perspective on the the budgeting and legislative process that you have with your colleagues? I know you just alluded to some of it just now and, you know, the relationship with the governor, but what, how do you feel that that is moving forward? I think this year is going to be a little bit of a test case. First, 
how much revenue came into the state during COVID mm -hmm. uh, in the intervening year. And it's actually been better than was originally projected. One thing I people had money credits who are, you know, people can fall to unemployment, but the fact is people had enough money to keep our tax coffers going. Mm -hmm. Secondly, there's an appetite now that things have gotten a little easier to go out and spend money. Correct. Want to go buy a car and they want to buy new clothes and, you know, the, all the things that we didn't do for a year and a half. So the tax revenues are better. Now the governor is going to come out with a proposal and schools got a lot of money last year. So we don't know that she might not say, yes, I'm going to fully fund foundation aid as I promised up to 80%, but you know, like no extras. I have no idea. We haven't been given a clue. I think we are going to um, do two things. One, we had a hearing to see what schools are doing with their both their foundation aid and, res and American Rescue Plan money. We want to make sure it's going to really the things we had hoped. Of course. Yeah. And we're probably going to try to hold schools accountable for more accountable for the um, really significant amount of money we gave. The other thing is, as we learn what works in the response to COVID, I think we in the legislature who are sort of in touch with our districts are going to want specific things. Like some people, some districts are getting killed by tax decisions that have nothing to do with them, but they're losing school taxes. If that's the case, we have to make some of that up. We have these problems, as you all know, where an error was made and SED is holding money, where we've tried to get uh, blanket forgiveness. We haven't been able to do that. In some small districts, that has very significant effects. Mm. Uh, we work closely with the rural schools with declining enrollment, with the, who are very, you know, we want to encourage creative things to do. At the same time, we, we don't want to kill those schools. We want to support them. So, mm -hmm. and then the city of New York, you know, the, it's a really extraordinary, the largest school district in the country. We got to be mindful. They're going to have probably a new chancellor with a new mayor. And we will be partners with them. So first, we'll wait for the governor's proposal. In the meanwhile, we'll sort of get our ducks in a row of what we're looking at from a fiscal point of view. And then we'll respond to her budget. I, I hope it is a more collegial process in which you who are on the ground dealing with the money will have a strong voice in, in, in at least the proposals and be, have a seat at the table. No, that's great. Oh. That was actually going to be my next question, because in years past, Governor Cuomo was challenging, to say the least, when it came to education funding and state funding for schools and consistently tried to limit increases and kind of shift formulas and how aid was distributed. Do you anticipate a different tenure moving forward just based on your interaction with Governor Hochul? Well, I think one thing is in our last year's budget, we promised we would get to this 80 percent of foundation aid. So. That's just on the numbers, you know, that schools should be able to count on getting 80%. And then we also gave a 2% bump, a 3% bump to the rurals. So I think that schools can anticipate that she will be consistent with our goal. I think where there may be tinkering is around these other issues. I'm very committed to seeing that there are enough guidance counselors, social workers, school psychologists and counselors in schools. So I think kids need it post-COVID. Some are not hiring and using their money for other things. So I think, you know, we may want to try to encourage schools to, to move in that direction. And certainly we have some complicated issues outside of school finance dealing with 
curriculum and guidance and uh, the direction of the Board of Regents. I just would say that for probably the first time in my years dealing with Albany, we really have a very collegial relationship with SED. I don't think they have enough staff to do the work at hand. I think you see that firsthand, whether it's- yeah, They've been short staffed for a long time. Well, they, they are going to hire 17 people, Art. So that's good yeah. thing. That's good. Uh, well, we're going to support them in getting more of the staff they need so that this, the field, as you call yourselves, which I always think is a funny word, are going <laughs> to- uh, have the tools you need to get decisions promptly, you know, mm -hmm. to know. So I think we will, be, we will be supporting, if I had to guess, SED's request for additional funding. That's great. That's awesome. Wow. So now I'm, I want to switch gears just slightly. And you, you've sort of mentioned this already, Shelley, when you, you started talking about how, you know, what schools should do now and not be afraid to get out there, right, to, to actually begin to advocate more. And I think that we, John, we know about that more so because we're ASBO New York, but just for those listening, right? Because this is this is for our listeners. People listen to podcasts or want to get, you know, able to get something out of this. What do you feel is the best way for our peers, school leaders and the like to really advocate for their districts and, and make their needs be known? Jack, I'm so happy you asked this. It's something I, it really is near and dear to my heart. First place, Thanks. schools have this incredible advocacy of parents and they do not use them well enough. I love mm. the PTA. If you're outside the city of New York and you have a good PTA, more power to you and we work with them. Okay. But parents are an incredible resource. First, because they vote. So us elected officials give them high deference. And two, sure. they are willing to fight for their kids. So yes. two is schools themselves, in my opinion, should get to know every one of their senators and assembly members that's, mm -hmm. that represent where their school is. Now, ASBO does a great job of this. You have legislative breakfast. You invite us all. Mm -hmm. Democratic, Republican, majority, minority, get to know your person and have them know you. So all of a sudden you have some shortfall that something happened or you don't have enough school bus drivers and you have to enter into a new contract. You, you, you know, I got a I lot of yep. <laughs> my cell phone and they call me and say, you know what, I can't do this. Or I want to run a Saturday school to help my kids make up, or I want to hire two extra guidance counselors. I need a special dispensation. Or I got uh, a number of Afghani children who were mm. settled in my community and now I need additional language help. These are the things you got to have personal relationships. So in addition to ASBO, which is a fantastic advocacy group and really does a good job, everyone who's listening, you know, in the school community, you should get to know your center assembly member, invite them to your school when you have in-person things, you know, particularly when COVID okay. is not an issue and have a legislative breakfast, mm -hmm. let them hear and get to meet you and get to know you and put their faith in you. And that way, in addition to the big associations, you know, superintendents and the school boards, we got to have a feeling on the ground what's really happening. And that's why, I, you know, I'm so pleased to be able to speak with you directly because this is what we carry back. I myself carry to the governor's office at least once a week. Oh, you should be doing this. You should look at this. You should have more nuanced rules on this or that. We hear it on the ground and that's what, that's our job. So yes, your, your members and all in the school community, they're doing a good job, but they continue to need to do better in the relationship department. 
So you're, you're, if you want, you're welcome. If you want to give your cell phone out on the podcast, we can just broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> <No, no. laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. That's funny. No, I'm going to get a second cell phone. That's what I say. Right. There you go. <laughs> so, so a lot of our listeners come from different walks of life and especially in different places in their career. So some school business officials are brand new and we have subscribers that have been in the seat for, for their entire career. So you as a legislator and as a strong advocate for, for schools, what advice can you give to our listeners just about the legis- legislative process in general and especially how it relates to public education? Well, first place, credit to you all, because it it is a complicated area of uh, knowledge, school finance. And I I say this all the time, it is not interchangeable with other areas of finance. You have to know the law, the education law, how SED Mm -hmm. works, reimbursement, capital, operating. It is really a highly technical thing. So credit to you all. You know, I rely on Georgia Asciutto, my committee director, who worked for the coalition of big five schools for over 25 years to be sort of an expert. Uh, I'm not an expert, but it is a very technical area. Mm -hmm. But I think what people should do and look, you you got an association, they do an excellent job, but don't be surprised that things happen like in the budget, non-budgetary things that affect school operations get stuck in there. Right. That is a fact of life. So mid-March, you know, if something you don't like is being in the universe of chatter, you got to make sure we know and why you don't like it or something you need. So the budget is not a document just about finances. Policy has traditionally been included, particularly in schools. And so that's one area where people should be mindful and, you know, read the newsletter, look at the stuff Mm -hmm. that ASBO puts out to make sure that they're up to speed. Also, the impact of a particular proposal is not uniform between districts. Right. So if it's going to, you know, help your district and kill the next district, make sure we know. We try to go through and analyze the district by district impact of things, but it is not always easy to figure out exactly. So I think that's another point. And thirdly, if there are specific things you need for your district from a fiscal point of view, let's say you want to build a gym or something and you, you need you're going to need a bond act or whatever, and you need legislative help, make sure you really make a specific request to your Senate or Assembly member. And okay. even if your member is in the minority party, I can't speak for the Assembly anymore, but in the Senate, I have carried lots of bills through my committee that are by minority members because I know their district needs it. And, you know, I push it as far as I can. It is a majority rule sort of system. That's democracy. But I'm very mindful that a kid is not responsible for what district they live in. So, you know, if a school needs something, it's my job to try to fight for it. So the more knowledgeable you are, look, you don't need to learn the legislature, but the schools are so dependent on state rules, regulations and laws and money. Yeah, right. It's true. true. So that that's some great advice. And, and I hope our listeners glean something from that because uh, that that's invaluable. And, you know, this, this entire conversation has been you know, pretty business oriented. So Shelly, can you tell us what, when you're not advocating and banging on the governor's door, what, what are you doing? Like, what is, what do you like to do to blow off steam? Yeah. Personable touch. So yeah. I would <laughs> say she's not just a senator where yeah. sleeves up all the time, working diligently hard for us, but what do you, you know, well, say, let your hair down, right? <laughs> down. But then, and you know, you have to, uh, well, you know, I just would say, and I say this about all my colleagues, this is a hard time to be an elected official. One, 
going through COVID and helping us to the degree of hostility out there towards elected officials and sort of the inability to sort of disagree cordially mm. is it, it makes it hard and people are angry a lot of the time. So it is important to like move away and, and do something fun. Tonight I'm going to the Capitol Theater in Port Chester to see live music. Ooh, very nice. How oh, awesome. So yes. that's that's your passion. You love like music. Music. I like, you know, I love to go out for dinner. I'm happy we can do that again. I have five wonderful grandchildren who I, I really can't wait till they can get vaccines, but yes. they're doing well. That's awesome though. And um I I have a very full and wonderful life, but being an elected official right now in this period, just like being in a school. Tumultuous. It's a tumultuous, yeah. tough time. You got to really be committed, and you are, and I appreciate that, and I feel that way too. Like I'm. Oh, you are too. Yeah, definitely. I believe I can make a difference. You know, otherwise I, I I wouldn't be in this. And then you know we have our own politics, which is not easy. But I'm very fortunate to have people in general. I would find, and I bet you find this too. If you're in good faith, you don't. You, you're honest. You say what you can and can't do. Mm-hmm. You listen to people respectfully. Yes. Uh, People give you the benefit of the doubt. And that's mm-hmm. what I work on. I, I, I represent many people who don't agree with me about my politics, but they're willing to, you know, they, they know I'm out there fighting for them on the things mm-hmm. we agree on. And so wow. I, I have fun, though. I do have fun, and I'm going to have fun at Port Chester. Awesome. Well, we won't hold you up any longer. And we thank you. Wow, I got to say, this is really, really, really great. I mean, just yeah. having this conversation with you. So I'm going to let John and I wrap up. But the New York State... Senator Shelley Mary, you've been wonderful, and we really thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank Shelley, you. thank you so much. It's been an honor. Pleasure to see you. Thank you so much. And that was our interview with Senator Shelley Mayer. Thank you again to Senator Mayer and her staff for coordinating the interview today. That was an amazing conversation, and we know how busy she is. So for her to take the time out to do this was, was a complete honor. Absolutely. Wow. And I mean, take all the tidbits you can from it. We continue to bring you these SPL perspectives from each and every person connected to school business. And so we appreciate you listening. Listship is, is it's growing so much. I mean, I can't even really describe how exponentially the bounds and leaps have been growing. So with that, I wanna just say next week, we still are com- we're still gonna be on, you know, this is a weekly Thursday thing, right? But we're actually gonna do something next week in person an event yeah. a special podcast episode next week for those of you who are listening and going we have the sbmw school business management workshop hosted by asthma new york up in saratoga great great time to connect with peers right it's been so long right John? yeah I mean, i'm really looking forward to I it mean, it's been way too long in the pandemic and i mean not just that but to get recharged refreshed great speaker coming out there keynote speaker i don't want to give it away but you'll you'll know about him and and really just Getting the knowledge to bring back to your district. That's what it's all about. So we're going to have a special edition podcast episode in person next week. So with that, we thank you for continuing listening. And John and I are here signing out. SEO Perspectives. We'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone.